we um, just recently, last week, celebrated Easter, Jesus rising victoriously from death, what the enemy, the deceiver, Satan, thought was, until he realized it was too late, what he thought was his moment of victory, and then perhaps remembered, as he saw Jesus, the prophecy spoken back in the garden that his head would be crushed, um, that he would bruise the heel, but his own head would be crushed, and his, his doom was sealed. And, and so, um, as, a, as, a logical, as a logical next step, like, I want to talk a little bit about, so what happens? Where is Jesus today? There's some great story. you know, if you read, read the Bible, you know, after the resurrection, in, in the book of Luke, in the book of John, there's some pretty awesome things happen, happening. Um, some of the disciples were walking to Emmaus, and what we see in, in Luke 24 is that it says Jesus vanished from sight. He was with them, and initially he wasn't recognized, which is very interesting. We know from Scripture that in Isaiah it says Jesus had no form or look or appearance that we should come to him or that we should desire him. So he wasn't like an earthly king. He wasn't like Saul that was, as we were, are told, chosen because he happened to be good-looking and tall. Um, that's not why. So Jesus did not come form in the form of human, worldly, earthly kings of status and power and visible, apparent, royal family place of prominence. But as we know, he was. Um, so he wasn't recognized. He uh, vanished from sight. He then in... Um, Later in Luke 24, and, and I want to I read this first. Um, I'm going to go to Luke. This is such a good passage. A lot, of, a lot of just like crazy things happen here. So, yeah. Yeah, he appeared. Their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. This is uh, Luke 24, 31. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Skipping ahead to 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. And the book of John says that, they were hiding in fear of the Jews because, of course, the Jews made a ruckus and demanded Jesus be put to death. And so then these, this, this group of people, these Jesus followers, um, you know, they were, they were under persecution, right? So they're un- hidden, locked doors, and in that hidden, locked room environment, Jesus appears. And he said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands 
and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? Maybe he picked up on the fact that it just wasn't quite enough. Maybe he, he realized he looked a little different um, to them, perhaps a bit more radiant. And it was just hard to comprehend, even though he just unpacked the scriptures again. And, hey, I told you this. And um, it was just a lot to take in, right? As, as we could imagine uh, observing someone die and coming back to life. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Listen to this. And he just unpacks reality for them. Then he said, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Now I'll hold right there. Can you imagine like what that would have been like to hear Jesus unpack all of the Old Testament in all the ways he was pointed towards, like every story, story that was a type of Christ. Like, yeah, it, Samuel, David, Samson, these were all like pointing to me in different ways, but they were fallible. And, I, and, and the fact that I had to come and die and how my bloodline, like he connected all the dots for them. To understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. We're going to talk about that today, Hebrews 8, Craig read it, that, that new covenant. That was part of a promise, the promise of my Father upon you, but stay until the city, until you are clothed with power from on high. Then he led them away, and he ascended into heaven. He went. Um, I've, I've told my, for years now, I've, I latched onto this. I was reading the Bible on an Easter morning. I said, hey, wh why are we eating ham on Easter? We should be eating fish, because Jesus ate a fish to prove he had a body. So we're celebrating that he had a body, which means when after we die, we'll have a body. We should eat fish. Um, hasn't caught on at all. <laughs> I don't think any, I've, I keep telling this and like, is anybody, maybe we could start a movement of, you know, because it's the fish, the way, the ichthus. There's so much about the fish and he ate a fish. It'll be perfect. No one wants to eat fish on Easter Sunday. Well, this little guy has been somehow made it in the Hansen house. It's split. He's got a little bit of a problem some super glue could fix. But this, this little plastic fish gets hidden amongst all the Easter eggs, the, the pagan ritual of the Easter bunny dropping colorful eggs. And whoever finds this, though, gets payday. They get um, a nice $10 bill, I think, is what Louisa got. Right, Louisa? So um, anyway... But that's important. That's an important piece of, I think, truth that we should latch onto as we think about what happened after the resurrection. Well, one of the things is affirmation. How are we celebrating that Jesus had a body and what's that mean to us? And then, by the way, where is he now? Um, so an important part of this, and Acts 1 talks about it, 
Jesus actually went to a place. They watched him ascend. They didn't watch him disappear, like dissipate, even though he shows himself to have dominance over space and time and geographical location. Um, he has a real body. I'm not going to put out, like, I don't think anybody should. Um, I, I, and, 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 you know, it's kind of like talking about heaven. There are books written about it. Um, but, well, what do we know? We know Jesus has a body. Um, I personally think, for whatever it's worth or not, he inhabits, he could inhabit himself, his body physically inside the sun. If you study the stars, the heavenly host, as they're referred to, does that kind of make sense? I don't know. But then I was talking about this with one of my kids, and, and Roland, my four-year-old, explained the other night. He's like, I know where Jesus is. I'm like, oh, tell me. He's right outside the window. He's watching us. And, you know, it's like he was like right there. He's, his head's right by the window. And not quite like that. So somehow, wherever Jesus is physically, um, he's not like this. You know, Jesus is the king, the real king. He came, there's a song um, when I was younger, middle school, high school. What if God was one of us, just a slug like one of us, just a stranger on the bus? In a way, he came and, well, he did that. He came and experienced what we experienced. He was like one of us, and he can empathize because of that. So he's both that and also is the center of all humanity and history. It's all about Jesus. It all hinges and turns on him, and he's the king that provides forever. Um, yeah, so it's really a perfect tie into today. In fact, I want to go back to make this really clear as we talk about Jesus, what he did after he rose, and what it, meant, what it means to us. This passage from Hebrews is not just another passage in Hebrews as we've been going through. It's a bit technical. We've been talking a lot about Jesus as the high priest and I have to be perfectly honest, when I found out I was preaching on Hebrews 8, my initial reaction was, I read it, and I'm like, we have basically preached all of this already several times over. This Out of the Shadow series, it's been a lot about Jesus, and it's good, but I, I don't know what more I can say. And then it was a beautiful moment. It's like God is always you know, up for a challenge when we raise ourselves in, in some type of inner pride, and he's like, okay. Submit to me, and I'll show you the beauty that I have here in this passage. So I'm going to go back, if you, if you um, have your Bibles, you're free to flip there. Hebrews 7, right before what Craig read, Hebrews 8. And I'm going to start at verse 20. It starts this way. So this is Hebrews 7, 20. And it was not without an oath. And he's saying, just a without explaining everything before that, it's basically saying, God made an oath. It was not without an oath. So God made an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. That means they became priests because they were in the line of Aaron. They were in the Levitical priesthood. It was like a bloodline thing. So that's how they became a priest, not without it. Not, they were made such without an oath. But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one, God, the Father, who said to him, 
The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It's quoting the Old Testament. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We're going to come back to this, those who draw near to him business, as well as the intercession piece. Verse 26, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever, or has been made to be perfect forever. Yes, so God made Jesus a priest as part of an oath, fulfilling a promise. It was a better covenant. What is he doing now? He's making intercession. What is making intercession? He's praying. He's praying for you. And as we just read, he's praying specifically for those who draw near to him. Just reading the text. So what is the, the better covenant business? I've got a little bit of an example here. Um, I'm going to compare the two on, 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 from, from multiple categories. I'm going to compare the Old Covenant, which you could think of in a lot of ways as the Old Testament. That's a little oversimplification, but represented by some good books here. And the New Covenant, represented by a cute little prayer plant, New Life. Um, foundation, Old Covenant, you could say religion. The plant, Jesus, promise fulfilled, New Life. Um, relationship, okay? So what is a covenant, first of all? A covenant is a binding promise. And with a covenant, it really makes a difference. Well, who are, the, who are the parties of the covenant? And on what basis or on what authority are they making those promises? Um, are they appealing to a name, a person, someone greater than themselves? I swear by, you know, we, we, we don't really talk like that as much anymore, but you, you still hear it. I mean, people will say, by God or by, by this or that. I swear, I swear it, da, 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 da. And so there's an appeal to like, you're, you're trying to give it some sense of permanence, like a meaning in a covenant. Two parties make binding promises in a covenant to reach a common goal. Um, there's oftentimes ceremony associated with making of a covenant. Why? So it can be remembered. So there would be witnesses to what happened. 
And one that we, a covenant that we celebrate um, as Christians is God, something God invented. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a, woman, a helper suitable for him. He created Eve, the woman. And he designed them to be one in marriage for life. That's a, that's a, that's a marriage covenant. Um, there's a great story. This is not my story, but I'll tell it. It makes an awesome point. Um, a former pastor that um, I knew, um, C.J. Mahaney, actually, so you can look up. He tells this a lot better. Um, but he was right before going down the aisle. He was waiting um, at his wedding day, and his father-in-law leaned, down, leaned over to him and said, C.J., I like you. And he's like, oh, thanks, Dad. You know, kind of that, I'm calling you Dad for the first time, and feeling good about things in life, and feeling good about the ceremony ahead. He's like, yeah, I do. I really do like you. I, I admire you. You're a young man, a lot of ambition, whatever type of thing. He said, I, I like you, but I don't trust you. And I, and I can't trust you enough, for this is my daughter. I'm, handing, I'm giving her hand to you. And I don't trust you, but I trust God. And I trust God in you. And you are putting your hope in God. And by that authority, I have confidence and you have my blessing. And of course, he was trying to make a point. He actually didn't have this like, I mean, it was, it was just one probably pastor making a point to a future pastor or a young man, like, um, that the basis of which his confidence was not in CJ as a man, a mere man. And wow, I mean, I, yeah, it's, I, I can appreciate this one more now than I did 10 or 20 years ago. And I look at someone when they're at that age of getting married, like they just there's a lack of knowledge there. There's a lack of life experience. And, and you look at that, and I can, I can feel that sense of from a father-in-law looking to the, the new son-in-law to be like, there's no way I could trust you enough to hand my daughter over to you if I trust God. So that's important to grasp in this sense of covenant is, CJ, the point I'm making is an appeal to God that you're latched on to God, I can bless this thing. I look back to my own wedding day, 2002, and to that point, um, man, wow, I think I can, I can, I can feel that moment um, right just before Rosie came down the aisle, and I know, you know everything running through my head. I was just excited, stars in my eyes. The future was, we had you know, no idea where we would live, how many kids we would have, would we have kids? Um, my, I, I was still a little bit shaken. I actually lost my job three days before I proposed to Rosie. It wasn't of my fault. I, I actually worked for a firm that imploded, Arthur Anderson. So, you know, everyone was losing their job. But I was like just on kind of shaky ground and with my career. But had this more confidence about myself and the future than I should have, and I recognized a lot of uncertainty that was appropriate for a you know, young, young man. Um, but my point with that is 
I remember the significance of the moment, the weight of seeing the, the testimony of witnesses, people like hearing us say our vows. And I had this sense of, and it was part of the, the message, I think a good message says this, is like, we are promising things we don't understand. We are making promises and commitments that we need help. We're just not enough. And if, if you're here today and you feel, you forget that, we as Christians, I think, can. Be, and we demonstrate it by not going to God in desperation every morning. Like, in our hearts, connecting ourselves and our mind and our soul to the living God through His Word, through prayer, like drawing on living water and the light. Um, in a way, we say, I'm, I'm too busy which is another way of saying the most productive thing for me to do is just operate in my own strength. And, um, so we, we demonstrate that we forget that we need a power greater than ourselves, And that's clear to me as I look back to my, my wedding day. So I'm going to compare these two. Old, old covenant, religion. New covenant, relationship with the living God. And warning, by the way, I'm going to say, I was going to say this at the end, but I'm going to say it at the outset. This, the old covenant, is not bad. We talk about foundation. Like, it's a major warning to hear the word religion. And we say religion, relationship. The Bible even says the new covenant's better, right? So, but let's not forget, we cannot lose sight of the fact that the old covenant is beautiful. It's order. Um, so it's ordering a number of other things um, that, that I'll talk about. So who? Let's talk about who first. Well, um, the Old Covenant was to a specific people, determined by bloodline. If you were an Israelite, a son of Jacob, son or daughter of Jacob, and uh, if, if, if you were circumcised, okay, you went through the ritual, you were part of the Old Covenant. Um, you, were, you were in. That's the, that's, you were with that, that's the who. The new covenant is with those and who have a, a new heart, who's got, God has given a new and a changed heart. Ezekiel 36, in recognizing the prophets, in recognizing while, while God's people who received the old covenant were in exile in Babylon because they were not doing their part of the covenant. Like they just did not follow after God with their whole heart or love him with their whole heart. In exile, the prophets, Jeremiah said this. Jeremiah is what's quoted here in Hebrews 8. Ezekiel said this, goes on this passage talking about, okay, in the future, and this is what God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and, and give you a heart of flesh, something that's real and beating, that's alive, that's not just cold, and without power. The who aspect for the new covenant, um, there's, there's a couple interesting things. So let's go back to the, the text. Hebrews 8 again. 10 says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. So this is the new covenant. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. 725, so God's saying, I'm going to give them a new heart. And so 
on the who is this applying to. Again, 725 said, um, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So that's the who. It's not based on, new covenant is not based on what family you belong to, basically. Um, I was given false assurance when I was a young, uh, young boy um, by a well-intending individual. I was, I was having actually bad dreams about whether I was going to hell. And the person assured me that I was part of a good family, that we were always, they always loved to see my family at church and my parents sing in the choir. And, you know, remember that I, I, I was baptized, I was baptized as an infant, I got baptized as a believer later. Um, And those were my assurances, basically about family and attendance and do at a high level. And that, even as a young boy, that felt like death to me. It was not helpful because it wasn't true. That's not what saves. God saves regardless of bloodline, right? Right? So what are the promises made between the old and the new? I'll compare. Old, old covenant, God promised to make the people of Israel special, a holy, set-apart nation. They were going to be different than the surrounding culture. I remember talking at Good Friday service, talking about the evil that was present, that God saved, kept his people from. He wrote laws commanding them like, we read this, these laws and we think, that's horrendous. That's what, that, well, that, it's horrendous because that's what the prevailing culture was doing. They were sacrificing their babies. They were giving their daughters up to the, the temple god Molech and doing horrible things. And just like there was a lot. He, god said, no, I'm going to make you separate and distinct. And I'm going to bring blessing because I'm giving you a lot of rules to follow. These rules make sense. They're good rules. Follow them. You'll be a different set-apart people. What other promises were made in the Old Covenant? That God would dwell among them a separate, in a separate, special access sort of way. Um, the tabernacle, the tent, had a special place. You know, people, after God saved them out of Egypt, he led them by a pillar of cloud by day and by fire at night, and the fire came, and that's like where the de- demonstrated his presence But again, it was only a special priest, one who could go to the place where God could could be in that holy of holies within the tabernacle. So it's in a special access sort of way. I think of it as like if if you were to go to a rock concert, um, I'll just use Skillet as an example because I'm a, you know, I love Skillet. If you don't know me, I I love some good old, some good uh, hard rock. Um, And at any rate, if I were to go to a and you know you're not that cool if you're like, you know, taking your kids to the concert. And, and um, anyway, um, I was like leading the way last summer, like riding. As I don't have any tattoos, but I kind of felt like maybe I should to fit in a little bit better. So I was using black mark Sharpie on my arms and writing like, love is the answer and, you know, stuff. And, and um, at any rate, so we're there at the concert. And what if not only could I not see the skillet band members very well. I could just hear them. But in, in a typical cut, you can see them, right? And now like, they're on the big screen. But what if not only could I not see them, um, I could just hear them almost from a distance. 
And then after the concert, you know, of course, if I were, were to want to try to meet or talk with John Cooper, um, you, you would need special access, right? Like you'd need a, you need a, you'd be escorted. It would feel like it felt, you know, I think to God's people in the old, his, the Israelites, like you need special access. We're getting like, we don't have, this is our disposal. We don't have the internet to look up all these, ama- like we can, we, we don't have free, complete access of, of knowledge. It requires special access, and um, there's one guy that gets to have that, and he goes into the special place once a year. There's special sacrifice being made. It would, it would, that, that's, that's a little bit of an analogy versus like if John Cooper, who's the lead singer of Skillet, if he were to show up at my house. So that's a little different, right? He comes to me. He shows up at my house, and he comes in and, and eats with me and just is, wanting to, is with and then doing life with me. That's the difference in terms of when we say God was with them, he was, but in a different way than in the new covenant. Um, what other promises did God make as part of the old covenant? That he would be their God and they would be his people. Okay. How about the new covenant? He will write his law on their hearts. He will bring complete forgiveness of sin. One and done sort of way, not has to keep being done. He will put his spirit in people, in, powerfully. His people will have desire and power to love and obey his commands. Loving and obeying is not something they will need to do to gain favor, to be part of this people. Love and obedience is something they get to do because they want to, because he's changed their heart. He put, turned their heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Huge difference. He will be with us, and we will know. We will have a relationship with him. Listen to this. I'm going to read. This is Revelations 21. I love this passage. This is your king, okay? If you want a snapshot of why you're here this morning, perhaps, this is the type of reality that's before us and that we have access to because of Jesus and this new covenant. This is Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. So I'm still aware of an ocean. So this is taking place in the future, right? And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's with. He, he will be with us in the new heavens and the new earth that he's making. That's what he's working on now, and he's interceding now, and he's making this. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, himself, like the actual Jesus, we will be able to have this type of like really walk-up interaction engagement with him will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's beautiful. Oh, let me read one more. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. 
Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. So this good news gospel, new heart stuff we're talking about, as we talked about and we talk about all the time, the amazing thing is that it's free. We receive we receive the gift. That's how, we, that's how we do that. The Old Covenant and the New Covenant, they both have the same objective, actually. Um, true happiness and joy found in God. That was the intent. That was the objective of both the Old and the New Covenant. Found in God. And true happiness and joy is actually only found in God. Um, you could, you could shut it, cut it short. I remember a discussion about our, our, our several years ago when we came up as a team of elders, fight for joy. I was lobbying for, yeah, fight for joy in Jesus. Like we, should, we, we talk about Jesus all the time. Let's just in Jesus. And it's like implicit. Like real joy, actual joy is found in Jesus. So you can't separate the two. So I love it. It's, it's good. Um, so what happens our role? Old covenant, knowledge, obedience, make sacrifices, act, do. What happens, our role? New covenant, natural response of delight in the law. It's a reaction. It's an overflow. We are freed and empowered to follow the law, although not perfectly. See, the law is good. We just, it changed our desire to want that. When was this contract made? Old, after rescuing Israel from slavery in Egypt, right? Moses came down from the mountain. And in the meantime, the people busied themselves with making a golden calf. We can laugh at that. We have a tendency to want to put, create our own golden calves out of people, out of stuff, out of dreams. And God I'm going to walk through the Ten Commandments in a minute, but, you know, that's part of what Moses brought down. That's when it happened. So timeline-wise, that's when it happened. When was the new covenant made? I think it's kind of twofold. One was in the garden after with, when to, to, um, the, the prophecy was, again, the serpent will bite the heel of Jesus, but Jesus will crush his head. That was a promise made. That means seal his fate, ultimate power, um, will be demonstrated, an ultimate victory will be demonstrated over Satan and death. But also, again, as, we, as I mentioned earlier, um, throughout the prophets while in exile, the outcome of the, the failings of the people of Israel, God gave them, what they, gave them up to what they desired for a last time, and he took them away to wake them up and to be in a, serve as, a, as an example to us. Um, and in that, in that season, the prof- prophecy was made of, of the new covenant. Okay, requirement terms. Old, obey the law. It was a conditional covenant of grace. Israel was to obey the terms embodied in all the laws given at Mount Sinai. Here's what they are. The do and the don't do. The Ten Commandments. These are the, the, the big ones. Um, there, there were other commands, right? But... 
And he, as, I, as I go through these, like, these are good, right? These are foundational. These are good things. Have no other gods. So things that you look to for life, enjoyment, thrill, comfort. God says, find that ultimately in me. Don't have other gods. Number two, he said, no images, no graven images. No images, don't, make, don't try to make a, a reflection, an image, or picture of who I am. I'm, why? God's too big for that. He's too big, too complex. He, he cannot be contained or defined by humans because he's so above and beyond us, right? So no images. Don't take his name in vain or don't refer to God, the Alpha and Omega, carelessly. Don't, don't throw it out there. Talk about Jesus in a way where it's just... It's just, casual. it's just inappropriately too casual. His name is sacred. Then, so that was the first um, three. And then four and five are do's. And the do's of the commandments were intended to be blessing. One is have a Sabbath, a day of rest. Have a day of rest, one day a week, because that's what God did. In six days, he created the earth. Seventh day, he rested. The Bible says, so you sh- too should work six days and on the seventh day rest. And the other one is honor your parents, um, which, which does bring blessing. Then the last five are some don'ts. And these are, you know, don't murder, don't commit sexual sin, just don't do it. Don't steal. Don't take what's not yours. Don't lie. Don't deceive. Don't do this. And the last one is don't covet, which is basically right. Don't wish for things that others have that you don't have. That's, that's in the top ten. Those are the ten commandments. That's what it is. Those are the requirements of the old covenant. The new covenant, don't do primarily. See and receive. See Jesus on the cross, dying for you, giving himself up for you, and trust by faith that it applies to you. Receive that and respond. Draw near to God. That's the new covenant. Accept the gift. God gives and fulfills the promise to send Jesus, uh, humankind's, and not just humankind, but you individually and specifically you, directly, have a, have a responsibility, a relationship with God, or you don't. It's, it's very binary, so to speak. It's off or on. It's yes or no. And what it is, instead of the Ten Commandments, it's God acting on our behalf. He came. It's a matter of the heart, and it's a matter of receiving what you cannot earn. All right, and then just a few quick con- contrasts, like Old, old Covenant Come and see. Come. We'll invite you in to see our tabernacle and all the fancy garb and the headdresses and the statues and the rites and the rituals and the traditions. Come and see. Localized presence. New covenant is go and tell because God is now, he's released his spirit and he has sent us. Old covenant, external signs and symbols all pointing ahead to Christ, intended to gear, show God's people that there is a Savior coming. 
new covenant, internal transformation by Christ's presence and by the Spirit's power. External, internal. Three, imperfect man as mediator, priest. New covenant, perfect man as mediator. God as mediator, Jesus, right? And then old covenant is the gospel just without enablement, whereas the new covenant is the gospel with enablement or power, the ability. So some demonstrations of the new covenant. What does the new covenant then look and feel like? Number one, that came to mind. I saw a clip um, of Alistair Begg, um, some, uh, some family members of mine listen to him regularly and call him Uncle Al. But he talked about the thief on the cross. And it's this beautiful little clip. It's been going around. Maybe you've seen it or you can look it up. And I'm not going to try to impersonate. It's actually really funny, too, is because he's got a good sense of humor. But it's pretty profound what happened with the thief on the cross. So there were two thieves, criminals, dying next to Jesus. Briefly, I'll tell you what I'm talking about. And so look at what happened with the thief on the cross. One condemned, basically like, hey, if you're really God, prove that you're God. Like, prove it and show your power, like, in an earthly way. Like, get off the cross. Not thinking macro, not thinking this is, if this is the real God, maybe he's intending this or doing this out of love. And so in a condemning way, the other thief has a change of heart. And he says, um, he asks for life. And Jesus basically says, today you will be with me in paradise. Lived a, had, had, as a criminal, not as a Jew, saw that he saw that this man was the Savior, was truly the Savior, was God, and willingly gave himself up. Saw him there humble as a lamb, giving his life, and, and knew that this, like the Roman soldier afterwards, truly this was the Son of God. For Jesus to say, I tell you, this day you will be with me in paradise, is unbelievable. The authority to, to be able to say that, and to apply it to someone who hadn't gone through any ritual. He wasn't baptized. <laughs> um, he hadn't shared the gospel. He hadn't had any quiet times. <laughs> right? <laughs> Probably the opposite. And, um, but yet, in a moment, that's the type of God we have. He can do that, demonstrate that type of power, and he has the authority to, to, to go from death, turn from death to life. So the new covenant... Outsiders are now in. Gentiles, you don't, it's not about your family. Outsider can be in. Direct access. When Jesus breathed his last, what happened? I meant to look this up. I think it was about 40 or 50 feet. The curtain temple, which I envisioned as really thick, heavy wool curtain in the, in the temple at the time was ripped, torn from the top down. The Bible tells us. That's profound. The curtain separated where, you know, that whole access situation. So now the peep humanity has direct access to God the Father. Jesus died, ripped that curtain, or had one of his, the heavenly host do it for him. Ripped that. So now direct access now for us. That's what the new covenant looks like. 
physical presence of Jesus in the body. He rose. He appeared. We talked about that. And then communion is a way that we remember Jesus as the undeserved gift every Sunday. When we, and, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So, okay. The Old Testament, the old, the, the, the old Covenant, what was the point? I think part of it was God had a plan. He, 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 he wants us to see, he wanted us to see the beauty of the gospel in a fresh way, to see that even with perfect, a perfectly communicated and written set of laws that made sense and would enable human flourishing, would, if followed, enable and create a people set apart and holy that lived in a blessed and flourishing way, a people that were happy and free and full of joy in life, for us to see that even the best, basically, plan or rules written up could not be followed, I think it's powerful for us to, to read of the people of the Old Testament and see ourselves in them, how they have, have a tendency to take God's commands that are good and turn them into a means of maybe personal benefit or status. So God, God said, I need a covenant, a new covenant where I do the work, not the people that relies on my son that I will send. So religion or relationship? Well, I'm going to do this right now because, now maybe this seems cheesy. I debated whether to use props today, but I did. I went for it. Um, and carrying them in, we're talking about this, and uh, a brother was out in the hallway, David Bird, and mentioned, he's like, he's like, and you could put that it really builds, the, the pot can go on the books. And I was like, yes, I'm absolutely going to do that. It's perfect because it really is. The old covenant and God's law was a fa- is, and serves as a foundation today. Jesus stood on it. It's rooted in it. It doesn't go away. So I'm going to talk about religion or relationship and where are you at. But don't look at it as religion is bad. It's a foundation. This thing, if given time and, and some rain in here and some sunlight, would grow roots through and, you know, it'd, it'd be a solid little prayer plant. Um, yeah, it's easy to hear the comparison and remark that you don't want religion. I think religion is, other than maybe a song like, give me that old-time religion, uh, in a folksy way as it has some ring or appeal, maybe. I think religion tends to have a feeling of, um, you know, coldness and, and action and morality. I know that that's something I feel like was revealed to me in my life, even as a baptized believer, that I was living for morality. I was more interested in in being perceived as a good person, this, while also giving Jesus all the good credit. Um, and I think God delights in breaking stuff like that down as we, as we draw near to him. So let me ask you, what does your life actually reflect? Religion 
What do you desire, religion or relationship? Think about it for a minute. What do you want? Um, you know, going through this process as a church, we, we joined in some sessions with this biblical counselor who was really wise. And a question he liked to ask the group and would ask um, us individually is, what do you want? Just sit in that for a little bit. Like, what, what, what do you want? What are you wanting? What are you wanting right now? What are you wanting in, just in general? Like, what are you wanting with your life? It's kind of an open-ended question. You can spend a lot of time unpacking this question. What do, what do you want? And of course, why? Do you want good reputation? Do you want status, people to respect you, to look up to you, to be popular, to be pursued? Do you want to be heard? Do you want order in the chaos? Just, I just want some order. You want cleanliness. Like, is that, is that ultimately, you just want cleanliness, things to be actually clean, not sticky. Organization, order. A preference of what you are used to. Just like some people, yeah, fall prey to just wanting comfort. Like, I just want, I want things to stay the way they are. I want, I want, I want to be comfortable. You want knowledge. You see God's word. You see God as a success manual. It's like instructions for living. Neat instructions for living, perhaps. A means of, or, or knowledge can also be a means of feeling, feeling superior to others. Oh, they have not yet studied the doctrine of transubstantiation in, in, the, in the rite of communion. I see. Or they don't understand the nuance of, you know, like, okay. Is it, is, it, is it knowledge? Is that what you want, and will that satisfy you? This is what Jesus said to the old covenant embracers, the Pharisees. John chapter 5, 39. He kind of gave it to them on this one. I think in a, not a name-calling way, but in a very appropriate and humble way. Like, look, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will have life. And it is they that actually bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who already accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope, Moses and his laws. Being good enough, looking good enough, that was their hope. For if you had believed Moses, you would believe me now, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It's like, life is found in Jesus, not in, like, abiding, walking with Jesus, not in knowing the words, obeying the words, 
That's not how we gain access. I just encourage us, encourage you. I, I, I encourage myself, like I, as a believer in Jesus, need to hear this every day. A gospel isn't a one and done thing, the gospel. It's not, I understand that I've been justified. I got what I didn't deserve. By grace, it's by, I've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. And then we move on and we spend the rest of our lives tidying up ourselves more and more and more. It's a both and. It's a daily reveling in the glory that I need Jesus afresh. I am full of myself and pride and sin. And I'm blind to ways that I'm, blind, I'm still blind in so many ways to my condition. And I know that because as I get older, I see <laughs> that as I look back on my life, I thought I was better than I was. I, you know, things have happened that have unfolded. I, like, I know this, and I, take what I, I receive what I couldn't deserve. We need the gospel. And Jesus says, by the way, uh, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Like, he brings life. He's coming not with heaviness and restrictions and rules. He's coming with life-giving power. He's given himself, and in him we find peace, protection, presence. Matthew 28, he says, Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. He promised us himself. In Jesus, we have real power. We can share the gospel. We're, and, it, and it doesn't come down to how convincing we were or how cleaned up we are or what we were able to say. It comes to whether we were obedient and actually saying something. And he operates in power. He's, he's shown that to me time and time again. Don't you want power in your life? Like power over your problems? Yes, he offers that. Tap into that. He offers friendship. Revelations 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and he opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. He gives freely wisdom. The word made flesh. Jesus is the, the Bible, the word turned into a body. That's what the Bible says. He gives life to the full, or life abundantly, John 10, 10. He understands you in a way no one else can, and yet he still loves you. That's profound in and of itself. I don't know about you, sometimes like, I'm, I'm thankful, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a very, um, a marriage that I'm very grateful for. And yet even Rosie and I will talk about how Jerry Maguire told a lie. You know, like, You Complete Me, that movie. Um, drawing a blank on, there's a movie, Jerry. Jerry Maguire was the name of the movie, sorry. And there's this, <laughs> there's this scene where they're going, there's, there's this love, there's this couple, and they're like, you complete me, after I think, you know, you had me at hello, and then it was this you complete me thing. Well, Rosie's my bride, I love her. I'm, I'm thankful for the relationship we had, but she can't complete me like Jesus can. 
And that's good news. That's good news for our marriage. The pressure's off. From, she doesn't feel that pressure. Otherwise, for me, to be, I need, uh, there's, this, there's something that she can't give because only God can give it. Un- honesty, God gives you, he helps you see yourself. Pleasure and fullness of joy, a commitment to walk with us and through us. Through the valley. Let me finish with this. This is Isaiah 43. And I invite you to close your eyes. You don't have to do that. But just receive this. This is from the prophet Isaiah. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, or O Redeemer Church family, He who formed you, O Israel, or I would say, insert your name there, He who formed you, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, and you will walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, fear not, for I am with you. Amen. Just pray with me. I invite the worship team to come up. God, thank you for sending Jesus as the fulfillment, providing relationship with you, the living God, the one and true, the one who can take, scratch the scales off of our eyes and do the acts that we could never desire to do on our own, but you've, you do that. I pray for those who don't feel that you've done that. I've been there. Many of us have been there. And I pray for that you would enter, sit next to them. May they feel your arm around them. May they feel your presence. God, I pray that, they would, that you would open their eyes and help their heart to beat and provide life-giving blood in a fresh way, perhaps for the first time. And for those of us who've in a bit gone to, in a sense, gone to sleep and haven't drawn near. In fact, have distanced ourselves from you, the living God. I pray that they would lift up their eyes and see a loving Father sprinting towards them with arms wide open, robe flowing back, happy, rejoicing in in. in in the, um, in the turning towards him and that they would feel your embrace and desire your gifts, but first and foremost, you in Jesus in a new and fresh way again today. God, I thank you. Thank you for Jesus. It says, it's in his name we celebrate. Amen.